For the past few weeks, we have studied God's word from the perspective of the ways that Moses was holding out hope for the coming of Jesus. Now, recently we've celebrated Christmas and we celebrated the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. And when Jesus came, he came to reveal the Father, to become a faithful high priest, to put away sin, to destroy the works of the devil, to give us an example of a holy life and to confirm and in fact, fulfill the promises of God. The ground that we've covered, we've heard sermons about Jesus as the curse breaker and Jesus, the covenant keeper and Jesus, the law mediator and Jesus, the sin atoner. And today with God's help, we will talk about Jesus, the promise fulfiller. Now, that's a name that should instill some hope. What's in a name? If we, when you were growing up, if you had the nickname of Jughead, we can speculate that that had something to do with the circumference of your cranium. If your name was Slick or Curly, those names oftentimes reveal a lot about you or your character. But you take the name promise fulfiller. In fact, that name Joshua, the Greek for Joshua, Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. Isn't it interesting that the name God chose for his son is the same name as the leader God appointed to fulfill the promises to Israel? Joshua and Yeshua, Jesus, they're the same names. For the Bible student, you're going to find several parallels between the book of Joshua and Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In the book of Joshua, God fulfills his promise to Abraham. The promised inheritance is fulfilled and there are parallels between the inheritance to Israel and the inheritance for the church today. I submit to you that there are at least four, and we're going to look at those this morning. The four parallels for you that are taking notes, the promised inheritance. Number two, there's a divinely appointed leader. Number three, there are gifts of grace received by faith. And number four, along the highway of human history, there will be great conflict. Turn, if you would, please, in your Bibles to Joshua. Joshua's in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Our text this morning comes from chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Do we have a word from heaven? Starting at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, 
all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And amen. Our first parallel, the promised inheritance. Now to Israel, the promised inheritance was land. God made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham was called by God to leave his country, to leave his father, to leave his house. He was told to leave his pagan lifestyle, all his familiar surroundings, and trust in God alone. He was to forfeit his pagan inheritance, if you please, and any earthly inheritance from his father in order to undertake an unknown pilgrimage to an unknown land. And you know what? Abraham did it. He trusted God. And that's why scripture says it was credited to him as righteousness. He set out on this journey, not even knowing where he was going, but by faith he went. God promised him to make him and his prosperity into a great nation. He promised to give him a great name and multiple blessings. If he would just trust in the Lord God and God promised that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed and that from the seed of Abraham was to be born the Lord Jesus Christ. He was to be the second Adam through whom would come salvation for all believers. What an incredible promise. You look at this and you see the components of it. It's unilateral. God makes the promise, the covenant with Abraham. It's a promise he makes to himself. Abraham does not have to walk between the sacrifice. God says, I give you my word, I'm going to do this. It's a personal covenant and promise to Abraham. It's a national covenant and it's a territorial covenant. Look how specific it is in the word that, that we read. He's saying to him, listen, from the south, from the desert to the south, to the Lebanese mountains to the north, to the Mediterranean to the west, to the Euphrates to the east. This is the land. And while it took a series of events to bring that promise to fruition, God laid out in exquisite detail exactly what he was going to give them. It's a unilateral promise, a personal promise, a national promise, a territorial promise. It's also a reciprocal promise. Now, I, I can't linger here, but in God's word in Genesis 12, 3, it says, I will bless those who bless you. Abraham was told that the one who curses you, I will curse. And down through the centuries, the promise to Abraham, the pagan from Ur, who trusted God and became Abraham, father of many nations, he's been carried out. And God promised that those that bless Israel he would bless. I can't linger here, but my point is with this reciprocal promise, beloved, has America been blessed? And I think we have to say yes. America has 
experience wonderful blessings and bounty. And perhaps, just maybe, we are blessed as a nation, not so much because we're being obedient to God, but because we have been a blessing to Israel. Hmm, something to consider. That as we have befriended Israel and as we have stood by their side, that God has been faithful to his promise to bless those who bless Israel. I can't linger here, but something you can think about. A reciprocal promise, it's an eternal promise. Yes, accomplished in stages, but an eternal promise. And this was the promised inheritance to Israel. So you say, well, Larry, well, what's the promised inheritance to the church? You said there was a parallel. I'm glad you said that. God's promise of the Messiah, first seen for us in Genesis chapter 3, it's repeated to Abram and to Abraham and to David and the prophets. In fact, the messianic prophecies are recorded over 75 times in the Pentateuch, over 243 times in the books of the prophets, from Genesis 3.15 to Malachi 4.5. When we come to the New Testament writings, all of the promises are fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and amen, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.20. The genius, beloved, of the gospel is that everyone can share in this promise that is in Christ. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's you and I, are heirs now together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. When Gabriel announced to Mary that she would have a son, the angel invoked a promise that echoed throughout the Old Testament. Her son would be called the son of the Most High, and he would reign on the throne of his father David. Now, those familiar with the law and the prophets, including Mary herself, would have quickly begun to connect those prophetic dots. God's promises are never failing, and God... By his foreknowledge, he knew that man would fall into sin and become utterly ruined. He knew that before he even spoke the world into existence, that man would sin, yet he created him. And even so, God created man for his glory. He had a purpose, and he had even then a plan of redemption. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. What is our promised inheritance? Hmm. The promised land for us as believers is knowing God's word and walking in godliness and righteousness with our Lord while we are here on earth. Jesus brings the people of God into a promised rest. Yes, it can be a, a physical rest, but it's a mental and emotional rest as well, that we can cast our burdens on him, and he gives us even creative rest, that we can appreciate music and art and all of creation. And Jesus brings us into this rest. Jesus intercedes for us continuously, 
This is the inheritance that we have. Our second point, a divinely appointed leader. Hmm. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, after the death of Moses. Huh. Now, Moses was a tough act to follow. You talk about some big shoes to fill. But the point here, even though Joshua celebrated a reputation of a military leader, and certainly a leader, and a man who was courageous and faithful, he claimed no right to lead Israel. He was, as Scripture reminds us and tells us, anointed and appointed by God. What Joshua understood is that he couldn't carry out his mission without the supernatural power that God had promised him would be available to him. Remember, it is God who has said to him, it's not because of your experience or your training or your physical prowess. No man's going to overcome you because I am going to be with you, just as I was with Moses. God promised him that, that, that he would be available to him and he became their divinely appointed leader. Jesus is our divinely appointed leader. Joshua was a leader, but he wasn't the deliverer. Joshua was certainly a guide, but he wasn't the giver. It's Jesus who brings the people of God into the promised rest, and it is Jesus who has been foretold and anointed and appointed before time began. Mm. Our third parallel here regarding the inheritance that we receive is the gift of grace. Look again at the text. Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Now therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, and into the land that you have earned. Wait, 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 wait. Is that what your text says? If it does, throw that Bible away. It should read, Now therefore, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, and into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Great word. It appears many times throughout the Old Testament, but it is given. And what is being emphasized here in those two sections is simply this. This inheritance is a gift of grace from God. This inheritance of this land is a gift from God. God is giving it to them. And when it comes to grace, we as believers stand out. We're trophies of God's grace. When God wants to put grace on display, it is his trophies. That's us, his believers, that he says, this is what grace looks like. Salvation, beloved, you can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't scheme your way into it. The word tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. The gift of grace provided the promised inheritance to Israel. God's gift of grace is showered in the life of believers today. Now, I, I know what I'm talking about here. Every day, we receive fresh grace. Every day, we have an opportunity to serve our Lord afresh, if you please. We don't have to make any of the mistakes that we made yesterday. When it comes to grace, I have to tell you that I know what I'm talking about here. You see, God loosed my shackles. He led me out of darkness and dissipation. The grace that he's showered in my life, the mantles that he's given me, I'm a husband. And I thank you, Father. Somebody wonderful said, yes, and I do. I have a helpmate and a companion and a friend. And yeah, the mantle of husband can be heavy, but God provides grace in that as well. I'm a father, not a perfect one by any stretch of the imagination, but in my children, I can experience and have experienced respect and acceptance and love. And every day, through God's grace, they see their dad trying to live out and set an example before them of being obedient to God's word. By God's grace, I'm a grandfather. And in the eyes of my granddaughter, I'm, I'm wise. I'm a giant. I'm strong. And every day I sing to her. And every day I recite in the best voice that I can muster, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and Samia. Grace. I'm a son. Today, my parents don't have to hold their head down when they talk about me or when I'm referenced. I'm not rich. I'm not famous. But they know how much I appreciate the gift of grace that has been my parents in my life. And I thank you, Father. So does grace mean that we won't have difficulties? Absolutely not. Which brings me to the fourth parallel that we want to talk about. With God's promises, there are great conflicts. It wasn't easy for Israel. The promise had been made, but their life wasn't easy. That area, Palestine, was really a a land bridge between Egypt and a succession of world powers. When they went to Egypt, there were about 70 of them. When they marched out of there, there were millions of them. If only 70 had gone into that area in that hostile territory, that would have been awful. 400 years of bitter bondage, hardship, great conflict. 
I want to ask you something. It seems to me that it takes trial and trouble in our lives before we're able sometimes to trust God and claim his promises. Have you ever noticed that every time you appropriate a promise of God, it's preceded by a trial or some trouble or or some disruptive moment? It's almost as if this is what, what makes the attributes of God personal to us and not theoretical. How do you know God to be a God of peace unless you've been in some conflict? Scripture tells us that because he brings us into a right relationship with him, we now have peace with God. That becomes personal for us. How do you know God to be a God who provides unless your resources are gone, the money is gone, the job is gone, the family is gone. You have no other place to turn and God supernaturally provides a way where there simply wasn't any way. He becomes God a provider for you. Conflicts along the way cannot nullify the promises of God. To the contrary, beloved, the conflicts along the way present opportunities for us to trust God and to step out on faith. Israel could have been in the promised land 38 years earlier if they had simply trusted God's word. You remember when the spies went? They said, there's too many of them. They're too big. They're too strong. They're too fortified. They were afraid. And in Numbers, it says that Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who tore their clothes and said, you better calm that stuff down. Listen, God has promised this land to us. What are you afraid of? And it was only Joshua and Caleb who remember God's word, God's promise. And it was only Joshua and Caleb, the only two adults who walked out of Egypt. They were able to cross over the Jordan out of the wilderness and into the inheritance, the promised land. Their faith, they were rewarded. Their faith in God's word. Their faith in God's promise. I think God's faithfulness teaches us hmm, that our lives and each battle is a part of God's work. And we certainly have to wait on his timing. There is nothing in the life of a believer that happens that doesn't pass through the sovereign hand of God. Now that's hard theology. It's difficult for me to comprehend the full depth of that. When hardships come in our lives, these disruptive moments, it's easy to say, why me? Why am I experiencing this? But if we can remember that God knew it was going to happen, and he did, and God allowed it to happen, and he has, and that also means that he has a plan and that we can rest in that. In the book of Joshua, Israel entered and possessed an earthly inheritance promised by God. Today, the church enters and possesses a heavenly inheritance promised by God, provided by our faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus, beloved, is the fulfiller. Jesus confirms the promises given to Moses and to Abraham 
and to Isaac and to Jacob. Jesus, the incarnate, he verifies God's word. Jesus upholds the word, upholds it as being sacred. Jesus reestablishes the truth of God's word. Jesus kept the word perfectly and all of God's salvation promises are fulfilled by Jesus. Blessings, peace, joy, goodness, fellowship, hope, reconciliation, sanctification, Beloved, the promised land for us as believers is knowing God's word and walking in godliness and righteousness with our Lord while we're here on earth. I need to say that again. We have to grasp the significance of the promised land. The right relationship with the true and living God is the promised land that we as believers can possess right here and right now. The promised land for us is that right relationship with God that we can experience right here, right now. Because you see, beloved, without Jesus, we're lost. Without Jesus, we're in the wilderness. Beloved, we're deep in Satan's territory. But in Christ, accepting him as Savior, we cross over out of the wilderness and we receive grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation to God. And yes, we will spend eternity with God, but the promised land for us is our inheritance here and now. We have rest in Jesus here and now. You can cast upon him all your burdens and your cares. We have power over sin right now. We can call him father right now and we have access to him. Anybody can pray about anything from anywhere and he hears us. Our password, so to speak, to have access is Jesus Christ. He promised that he'd make us a new creation and we have that right now. And you have forgiveness of sins right now. God himself has promised that he'll put your sins as far as the east is from the west. And he promised that he'd send one like him, a paraclete, a comforter, and he has. And we have the Holy Spirit right now. And beloved, we haven't seen a watered down version of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us. It's the Holy Spirit that encourages us the Holy Spirit that edifies and equips and comforts and rebukes and corrects and convicts, and it's the Holy Spirit that calls. We possess our spiritual blessings here on earth with our hearts fixed on heaven. In the book of Joshua, Israel entered and possessed an earthly inheritance today the church enters and possesses a heavenly inheritance provided by Jesus, our Lord and Savior. What then is the practical application to this? If you remember that Joshua and the name Jesus are the same, that's an interesting fact. But your takeaway this morning 
the practical application. How do I apply these truths to my life? I offer this for your consideration. In the pages of Scripture are revealed the timeless truths about ourselves and our relationship with God. The highway of human history, God has placed signs along the way that reveal the truth to us of his word, his purpose, his plan, his promises. Your takeaway, God's word is a promise. The Hebrew language doesn't even have a word that really corresponds to promise. In Old Testament scripture, we find words like word and speak, and they're used instead. And what the Old Testament writers are telling us, in effect, is that God's word itself is the same as a promise. God word is trustworthy because God is trustworthy. He keeps his promises. He's never made a promise he couldn't keep and he's kept every promise he's ever made. God's word never fails. When he promised Abraham the land, Babylonian captivity couldn't stall it out. The Assyrian captivity, not the Medes or the Persians or the Greeks, nor the destruction in 70 A.D. by the Romans, nor the atrocities of World War II. God keeps his promises. God promised a Messiah. He said he would be born in Bethlehem. He was. He said he would perform all manner of miracles. He did. The blind received sight. The lame walked. He said after three days that he would rise again and come out of that tomb and ascend into heaven, and he did. He promised us he'd never leave us and he'd never forsake us. Now, because God has fully kept his promises he made to Abraham and he fully kept his promises regarding the Messiah, then you and I can have confidence in the promise that God has made that Jesus is going to come again. And Jesus is coming again, beloved. I don't know what Jordan Rivers you have in your life. I, I don't know what, what streams by you in the Jordan River of your life. Is it spiritual failure, your sin? Is it fear, habits, broken relationships? I, I don't know. Perhaps it all looks like it's too wide, too deep, too cold. You can't cross it on your own, and you know what? You can't. The gulf between us and God created by our sin, can only be breached by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we fail to cross the divide of sin and possess the promised land, we remain in a spiritual desert, a wilderness. 
I have to hasten to say this, beloved, because God's promises that gate swings both ways. We've spent a lot of time this morning talking about the promises that God has kept and the promises that he's made to believers. But what about those people who have rejected him? who haven't put their hope and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God promises that they will kneel before him. The word of God promises that he will judge them for their sins. The word of God says that there'll be no spin, no excuses, no hiding, no denial, and that those who have not called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be eternally separated from God. Now that's God's word. I'm asking you plain, where are you this morning? God has a promised inheritance for you that you can appropriate here and now. The right time, beloved, to do the right thing is right here and right now. Do you know him? If the Holy Spirit is placing on your heart and your mind your need for a savior, then praise God. From where you are right now, you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Not because I said it, and not because it wouldn't be my most sincere and heartfelt wish for you, but because God's word said it, and God's word is a promise. That if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. God himself has made that promise to you. Repent of your sins. Confess your sins. Acknowledge Jesus as Lord and enter into the promised land. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians, in Christ Jesus, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. Father, I've said what you'd have me to say. Take the little that I have and you multiply it for your glory. Let it have the effect that you want it to have on those that have heard. We thank you, Father. We praise your name, Father. And amen.